Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So did you hear about the young pastor? He gets welcomed to this church. It's his first assignment. And he's excited, but he's got some opposition. The choir director just doesn't like him. So week one, he preaches this fiery, exciting, powerful sermon. And it's all about being used by God and being the hands and feet of God and and touching people's lives out in the community. Great sermon. And at the end of it, the choir director turns to the choir and he leads the whole church in the song, We Will Not Be Moved. (laughs) He's a bit disappointed. Next week, he gets up and he preaches a great word. Just about using your finances for the kingdom of God. Great word on tithing. And the choir director gets the whole church to stand up after him and sing the song, Jesus has paid it all. (laughs) So now he's discouraged. Week three preaches again. And he preaches about gossip and skinnering and talking about one another. And the choir director leads the whole church in this beautiful song saying, I love to tell the story, you know. So he's come to an end of himself. So he gets up to the church week four and he, and he says to them, listen, I just don't know if I can do it. I'm discouraged. I don't know if this is me. I'm thinking of resigning. And the choir director leads the whole church and sing this great song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? <laughs> week five, it's the end. And the pastor says, Guys, spending time with Jesus, talking to Jesus, and Jesus is leading me away from this place. He's leading me onwards. I'm not quite sure where, but Jesus is taking me onwards. And the choir director got the whole church to stand and sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. (laughs) It's a joke, right? (laughs) Sometimes as the word comes, We have a choir singing in our head. We've got arguments in our head that deconstruct what God would say to us through his word. So we laugh at the choir and the concept of a choir director, but I pray tonight you would allow God's word and his spirit. Me and my weakness and frailty, I'm feeling particularly frail, got an ear infection or head cold or something, but me and my weakness, but it doesn't matter. God's word comes forth by his spirit. And I pray that no choir in your head would stop you from receiving. So let's pray. Father, speak to every heart. Lord, we ask for fresh manner. Lord, where we need strength, you'd bring it. Where we need encouragement, you'd do it. Where tweaking correction is needed, do it. Where direction is needed, where hope is needed, Lord God, where healing is needed, that you would bring it. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. Meet each person tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who are new here, or just as a recap, we are in this beautiful sermon series called Set Apart. And tonight we look at holiness lived. And another title for it is Five Hacks to Holiness. Okay, five shortcuts to holiness. 
The last four weeks have really been Hebrews 1 through to 11. If you've read that book, Hebrews 1 through to 11 teaches us this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the first covenant and its temple and its priests and its sacrifices. And Jesus makes better promises. And he gives us a better hope and a better city. And he is the better possession than any of our possessions. And you know what? Jesus does it. We don't work. It's not our good works. It's not our good deeds. We don't earn our way into the presence of God. It's his sacrifice. And it's his goodness. And it's he who has made the way for our lives. So he has done the heavy lifting for us. But not only is Jesus better, Jesus is pleasing. He's gain. He's good. And he makes our souls happy with the joy of the very eternal God. Now Jesus is the second person of the triune God, is in the infinite happiness of the Godhead. You know that God in himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is infinitely happy and always joy, always peace. It's wonderful. But, but there's an overflow that comes from his throne to us. And we get to share in it. What happens when we taste this, when we taste the joy and the goodness and the kindness of God? What is our response to the one who has made us and pleased us? The heart response is, we want to please him. And that's really what I want to talk about. And it's not that God is sad. He's infinitely happy. But we have the, the dignity, the privilege to actually please God by our lives. Yes, it's in modest measure. But we get to please God. The Bible says this, and, and this is completely countercultural. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we'll look at what those sacrifices are. Our holiness lived out is a heart response to His holiness and to His goodness to us. We are in awe of Him. We are grateful to him, and so our hearts are to please him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, and way is talking about in glory, we make it our aim to please him. Today is my wife Nicola's birthday, and uh, I made it my aim to please her. But you know what, I don't just make it my aim on her birthday. And I'm sure you're relieved to hear that. <laughs> My goal is to please her every day. Why? Because I love her. And I want good things for her. And, and this is me and my frailty and my inconsistency. How much more does God pour his goodness upon us and we should want to please him and bless him? Now, C.S. Lewis says this. Remember C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia, and some great Christian books. He says, this is in his golden verse. He says, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist 
delights in his work were father and a son. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. What he's saying, it's mind-blowing that we get the privilege to please God. And that's what holiness lived out is. It says, without holiness, no one can see God. Now, it's progressive, and you need to understand this. When your first child, your little boy, your little girl, takes its first step. Now, some of you don't have children, okay? But just imagine, okay? Your child takes its first step. You're over the moon, right? You're thrilled that they did this. But 25 years later, you want a bit more for them. <laughs> you want them to walk free and firm and balanced and unhindered as a grown son and grown daughter. And this is what holiness is. It's progressive as we grow into all that God has called us to be. That we become the fullness of the creation that we've been made to be. And this pleases him. Okay, so how do we live holy? What are the five hacks to holiness? It says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do you do this? How do you cast off sin? How do you run with perseverance? How do you fix your eyes on Jesus? What I'm going to do is preach off Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. And this is as a consequence of 1 through to 11, everything that God has done and now our response to him. Okay, so hack number one or key number one or secret number one to walking in holiness is we worship. Hebrews 13. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What is this talking about? How does this help us? As we behold him, as we consider his glory and his beauty, and his wonder, and his majesty, and his kindness, and his mercy, and his perfection, and his holiness. The heart response, the natural heart response, is one of worship. Do you know that whatever you worship, you become like? Did you know that? You become what you worship. I'm not saying you become God, but you become like God if you worship him. And if you worship other things, you become like these things. Once upon a time, there was a prince born to a great king. And, and this prince was wonderful, great son. But he had a terrible physical deformity, this bad, bad hunchback that caused him to be just doubled over. The king loved his son. The prince suffered with great pain. And they tried all kinds of remedies and even dark arts, but nothing helped the prince. He was hunchbacked and in pain, bent over. One day, the king signed a trade agreement with the neighboring nation. 
the neighboring kingdom. And as a gift, the neighboring nation sent this gorgeous statue of the finest marble. And it was a statue of the prince, but not hunched over, standing straight, as if what he should be. They didn't know. They'd only seen portraits and pictures of him. They didn't know that he had a hunchback. The king was furious. He thought that this was mockery or irony or sarcasm. And he was on the verge of declaring war on this nation. But the prince saw the statue of how he should be. And, and he started to weep. And he said, Father, please, let me take it. The king relented. The war didn't happen. And this statue was taken to the, to the prince's private garden and set, set up on some stone masonry. Every day, the prince would walk to his private garden and he would behold the statue of himself as he could have been. Days went by. This became his pattern. This became his ritual. After a year or two, people said, something's happening. Maybe it's in the walking Maybe it's in the looking up. Years went by and eventually they said, look at him. He's changed. Eventually, he was completely healed. He stood tall. He stood firm. And he looked exactly like the statue. Friends, you become what you worship. The great theologian, the late Tim Keller, said this. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and to be moved and moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what he has done for you. We please God with our worship. And we are transformed as we worship him. The second hack, we seek the better city. Here's this theme in the book of Revelations, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 verse 16, not, this, not on the slide. It says, talking about the heroes of faith, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And there he writes again, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Everything you see around you is finite. Everything's going to come to an end. There's this philosophy called imminent frame. It's a philosophy that says this, unless something is practical, and empirical and measurable, we want nothing to do with it. In other words, we want nothing to do with transcendence. We want nothing to do with eternity. And, and that imminent frame philosophy seems to have come into so many people's minds and hearts today. But this is the truth. This is not our home. Our citizenship is heaven. In Colossians, Paul writes, and he's saying to them, you know, you, you want to walk holy. It's not about how you keep new moon festivals and Sabbath days. And it's not about treating your body harshly. 
That's not, a, that's not how you become holy. He says this, Colossians 3, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know it deep inside. We're made for eternity. We are made for eternity. And so what should we do? We should set our hearts and we should set our minds on things that count for eternity. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. But make it your heart's goal to seek his kingdom. To be looking towards a better city. And one of the greatest kings of Israel was King David. Remember, he's the one who took out Goliath, etc. There's a tragic story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 about how when kings go to war, David decides not to go to war. But he sends all the men to go to war. And what he does is he walks on the roof of the palace. Instead of looking up, instead of being engaged about kingdom business, advancing the kingdom, going to war, or looking up to God, he goes onto the palace roof, and he looks down. And it says he saw a woman bathing. And we know that the rest is history. He calls for her. He commits adultery. He commits murder. This, she falls pregnant. Child is born. The child dies. David wasn't looking up. <laughs> As our hearts and minds are consumed with things of this world, it becomes very hard to walk a holy life. But as our hearts are filled with the things of God and we think about eternity and transcendence and advance in the kingdom of God, it becomes this incredible hack to enable us to step up and step out and step sideways from the temptations that come. We seek a better city. The third hack, and, and this one is a Joburg hack. This is particularly for Joburgers. People who go to Cape Town, you know why they go to Cape Town. Okay, I'm, I'm going to rue my words when I move down to Cape Town, right? They go there to chill and to, you know, just for the scenery, whatever. But you know why people are in Joburg? For money. <laughs> people are in Joburg for money. So I want to ask you a question. What is the verse in the Bible that says... Money is the root of all evil. Where is that? Where does it say money is the root of all evil? Mangalisa is shaking his head. <laughs> what? Opinions chapter 2. I didn't, I didn't hear that. Nowhere does it say that money is the root of evil. We need money. We need to transact. Jesus had a treasurer. Jesus paid taxes. Jesus isn't anti-money. But what God, Jesus, is deeply concerned about is our heart. And what our heart stance 
is towards money. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money. Maybe we should put lust, but that's what the Bible says. From the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What is he saying? Have a bigger love. Have a deeper one. Have a love for God so big that it pulls you towards him and away from your love of money. If you have Jesus, you have the greatest possession of all. And he promises, never will he leave you or forsake you. The Bible says this, you can't serve God and, and mammon, okay, which means money. You can't serve God and mammon. And it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Let me give you 13 things that money can't buy. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money can buy you a much bigger house, but it can't buy you a home. Money can buy you acquaintances that will appreciate sharing in your generosity and largesse, but it won't buy you friends who will stick with you through thick and thin. Money can buy you adulation, but it won't buy you respect. Money can buy you companionship and sex, but it doesn't buy you love. Money can buy you books, but it can't buy you knowledge or wisdom. Money can buy you a life of leisure, but it can't buy you a life of purpose and passion and meaning that lasts for eternity. Money can buy the latest gadgets and toys and things for your kids, but it can't buy you well-adjusted godly children. Money can buy you thrills and distractions, but it can't buy you serenity and inner peace. Money can buy you the appearance of a happy life. Kind of think those, think those people on Instagram in Dubai. You know, can buy you the appearance of a happy life. But it can't buy you true happiness. Money can buy you designer clothes and the best makeup. But it can't buy you inner beauty. And money can buy you expensive watches but it can't buy you time why do we pursue money godliness with contentment is great gain the lord is my helper i will not fear i pray that if you are caught in the pursuit of your career and the pursuit of money above all else that god would speak to you tonight and you'd begin the journey of being set free set free from the love of money Fourthly, and I know this service is a lot of young people and a lot of single people, but this applies to you. Hack number four, we prize marriage. There are four kinds of love in Hebrews 13. There's brotherly love, there's stranger love or xenophilia, it's for those who are foreign, those who are different. There's sympathy or compassion, maybe for the poor less fortunate than us, and there's marital love. And this is what God's word says. Let marriage be held in honor 
amongst all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now for every station in life, single, married, widowed, divorced, there's grace. So what does this mean? How do, you, how do I as a single person prize marriage, hold it in honor? How do I do it as a divorced person or a wounded person? So are there ways in which you are tempted not to honor marriage? What's your heart perspective on marriage? For some people, they put more faith in marriage than they do in God. So for them, marriage is their salvation. You know, if I only get married, my life will be fine. You know, if you're not sorted before you get married, you're not going to be sorted after you get married. For some people, there's a fear of commitment. They've read exaggerated stats on, on divorce. Maybe there's pain from your own parents. And so there's a fear of marriage. For some, there's annoyance. Why do Christians keep talking about marriage? God has given the covenant of marriage as a great blessing. Now, yes, we see in Scripture four, maybe five valid reasons for divorce. Unfaithfulness being one, abuse being another one, and time doesn't permit me to go into it. An unbelieving spouse, but if you are married, you are called to prize and honor your marriage. I want to confess something to you. I sometimes really irritate my wife. I know you can't believe that. <laughs> and sometimes she irritates me. <laughs> but we are committed to our covenant. And we have a love from God that supersedes the moments of frustration, irritation. And by God's grace, she is my first and last wife. Amen. So if you, if you are married and things are hard, the response is not to give up. The response is to look to God and call us, call your pastors, and we will help you in your difficulties. If you're single, how does this apply to you? You keep yourself until married. You keep yourself physically, sexually until you are married. Your boyfriend now, your girlfriend now is not your husband. It's not your wife. doesn't matter what you said to each other under a tree when the moon was bright. <laughs> They're not your husband. You don't get married privately. Can I get a yes or an amen or something? Now, now listen, before I met Nicola, I had girlfriends. So I want to say this to you. If you have blown it, if you have stepped across lines, repent and God forgives and God cleanses and God, God washes. That's what the Word of God says. But you need to say, you don't like redefine sin and say, no, that was my third boyfriend, husband, you know. You don't redefine things. As single people, we keep ourselves until marriage. 
And if you've blown it, you repent and you ask God's forgiveness and he cleanses you. Psalm 51, create me a clean heart, O God. And for all of us, we are called to uphold the covenant of marriage and prize it. Now, there's some great comedians out there that have the most insightful comments about men and women in marriage. I'm sure you've, you've watched some of them. And some of them are really funny, right? But then jokes go beyond the line to where we are no longer prizing marriage. We are called to honor and prize the covenant of marriage. Whether you're single, divorced, married, widowed, whatever it might be, we are called to uphold marriage. And as we do, this becomes a hack for our holiness. Because if you don't, you're on a slippery slope of sin and destruction, and you bring pain and heartache onto your own life. Let marriage be held in honor amongst all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. If that's you tonight, repent, and God will be merciful. Last hack. We are called to community. We are called to love and serve others. It says this, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Do not ne neglect to do good and to share what you have. Sorry, I bounced one ahead. Joy in Jesus doesn't result in us turning inwards. Meeting with Christ and Him coming into your life doesn't result in us isolating ourselves, sitting on the mountain, endlessly enjoying Jesus. Now, may we enjoy Jesus. I enjoy Jesus. I hope you do too. But it leads us outward. It leads us towards other believers. It leads us to community where we can be loved and where we can love, where we can give and where we can receive and where we can be transformed and we can become holy through discipleship relationships. You know, I'm grateful that some of you are in golf clubs and I'm in a running club and some of you are in knitting clubs and book clubs and wine clubs and I don't know what all the clubs are. These are good. But you know what God has called for us? He's called for us into a community with his spiritual formation. Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, probably the greatest teacher on spiritual formation, which is about us maturing. He says this, spiritual formation cannot be a private thing because it's a matter of whole life transformation. You need to seek out others in your community who are pursuing the renovation of the heart. It's iron sharpening iron. Now, part of being in a community is that we have leaders. We have people who we say, help me. If you see I've got spinach between my teeth, speak to me. And it's, again, it's countercultural. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them. And obviously, within parameters and within what Scripture says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. And this is so against what society says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. How do you let them do this with joy? 
by you not being difficult when Pastor Greg says something. But you receive what they're saying because if you make it hard for them, it would be of no advantage to you. My last point, which is a subset of this, we embrace loving correction. How many of you have ever been corrected by a friend, like in a good way? Like in a good way, like a helpful way. How many of you have ever been corrected by your spouse in a good way, in a helpful way? How many of you have ever been corrected by the church? I was called before the whole elders and like wrapped over the knuckles once, you know, twice. <laughs> it was ugly. I cried. Eh? <laughs> how many of you, and I hope you say yes to this, how many of you have ever been corrected by God? This is what the Bible says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or insert daughters there? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when, he, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness, that we might progress from being this child who can only take one step to becoming this grown man, this grown woman that we're meant to be. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we've had this missionary staying with us, house guest, and uh, she came into the kitchen on Saturday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Friday morning, and she said, oh, my tooth filling came out. You know, I was chewing toffee in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep and my tooth filling came out. But she managed to find a dentist and we took her to the dentist. Now, imagine you go to the dentist, you that young lady, and they start scraping and drilling and doing your teeth. And it's halfway through the procedure and you go like, no, 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 just stop it. I'm out. So she had saved the whatever it's called, the, the implant or the, the crown. Imagine if she walked out without that being fixed up. Ridiculous, right? How often do we jump off the chair that God has us on for our good? We're like, no, no, no. Now, I've seen people pray this prayer, and I never pray it. I never pray this prayer. God, deal with me. <laughs> Deal with the stuff in my life. Pour your fire on me. I don't pray that. Because then God will answer that prayer. You know what I pray? I pray, God, if there's a gentle way, <laughs> don't, don't leave me as I am. But if I can have the nitrous oxide and the injection, if I can have it as easy as possible, but but Lord, discipline me nevertheless. Don't leave me as I am. The book of Proverbs says the only difference between a fool and a wise man, it's not IQ, it's not academics, it's not experience. The only difference between a fool 
and a wise man is that a fool refuses to receive correction. And so they stay as they are. They stay in their pain. They stay in their half-developed state. Whereas a wise man, a wise woman, is willing to receive correction. I don't bring judgment on you tonight, but I'm saying to you, there's more in God. And he has called us to share in his holiness. And that is the place of joy. That is the place of fulfillment. That is the place where we please God. Recap. How do we do it? We worship him. Our heart is captured by him. We set our minds on things above. We're not caught in just the things of this earth. We live free from the the love, the lust of money. Irrespective of our state, we prize marriage and we embrace community. We embrace people that are on the same mission and we allow correction, whether it's through a brother or sister, whether it's from God himself. Can we pray together? Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your, your goodness to us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you made us and you love us and you are for us and you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for our sins that we need not be separated. Thank you that you made a way for us to not stay in our brokenness. Lord God, you made a way. You've cleansed us. And more than that, you've made a way for us to be free from the bondage of old patterns and old sins and old habits. And Father, I pray tonight for all of us, every person here, Lord, that we would be captured by your glory. Lord, we would be worshipers. It would be our joy to worship you, Lord God. And Father, I I pray tonight, Lord God, that, that we would live for eternity. That we would organize our lives in such a way that we build our relationship with you and we, and we do things that last for eternity. I pray, Father, where we are caught in the pursuit of career and, and the love of money, that you would set us free and we would acknowledge it. Father, I pray that where, where we haven't prized marriage, where we haven't honored our future husband, our future wife, where, where we've dishonored our existing husband and wife, where, where, just we, where we're negative about marriage as a whole. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us and renew us. Lord, I pray that where we are outside community, that you would knit us in, whether it's this house or another, that you would knit us into family. And overarching all of this I pray that we wouldn't be listening to the choir that sings the song against the word that has just been preached but Jesus we would receive your correction Lord God we would bear our hearts to you just take a moment and speak to God Whatever he's spoken to you on this, just acknowledge it to God.
ask his help. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him for his strength. And resolve to step forward. Lord, thank you that you give grace to the humble. You resist the pride, but you give grace to the humble. I pray your grace on every person here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.